for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Top Hill Recording. Hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. Recording Podcast, episode 62. What's going on, Neil? What's up, buddy? How are you today? I'm doing great. Pretty eventful day. Yeah, we got a busy day, man. We started with uh, shooting a one-shot early this afternoon. Now we have this podcast, and we're doing another one-shot tonight. So Mm -hmm. Staying busy. Yeah, and we are enjoying one of our favorites today, Evan Williams Single Barrel. Easy, man. That's a good one. Easy go-to. So cheers. Cheers, man. We got a good one. I've been waiting for this one, this episode. Uh, man, well, for, yeah, man. For a few seasons, I Go think. Go ahead and introduce. All right. Today, our guest is Aaron Bebelhauser. Aaron, thank you, man, for coming on Top Hill Recording Podcast. Hey, Neil. It's great to be here. Brad, thank you all for Absolutely. doing what you do and including me. <laughs> man, I, you know, this is a... Uh, this one's going to be a good one because generally we come in here and we uh, start with a blank sheet of paper and, and kind of just make notes. And we have a little bit beforehand that that we we talk about and say, well, would you, what do you think about that? Did you listen to that? Now, I, you may be able to see it, but I've already got a full page on this and we haven't even started, <laughs> man. I haven't made a note. I was like, holy crap. I don't have to talk at all. You just you just go on with it. <laughs> hey, Aaron, I, I, I feel like I have uh, I feel like I have a responsibility to let you know you might have a stalker here, man. Nah, man. He knows more about your life than you do. <laughs> at least the music right now. I'm, I, I did a deep dive, man. I've been listening to this music. No, it's good stuff. No, that's cool. He, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he introduced me to your music. I I didn't listen to a lot of bluegrass till I started hanging out with Neil. Stuff will rub off on you. You got to be careful, <laughs> man. I'm telling you, it's uh, it's I all you play now. I, I, I can't, I can't think or write any other way right now. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, yeah. it, it's uh, such a such a one way path I'm heading. And yeah. it's straight bluegrass. Bluegrass is, I mean, it's obviously the primary like sort of perspective that I have as a musician. But I mean, it is just one piece of the puzzle. I sent, I think I sent you guys some tracks to share. And some of them are kind of leaning, you know, outside the box. But I do like the framework of working within a bluegrass thing. And then also, I'm really happy to, like, you know, rub people the wrong way if they're a purist <laughs> in bluegrass. I like to, I like to, ru- I like to ruffle the feathers. I like to ruffle the feathers, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Aaron, why don't you start us off with uh, going back to childhood and telling us about your first memories of music, and at what point did you realize music was going to be a big part of your life? 
Yeah, man, that's that's a good question. It's, I like the way you guys do this too. It's <laughs> it's fun. I have I have sort of a backwards. I mean, I guess nobody's story is is a uh, cookie cutter necessarily about how they got involved in music, but I have kind of a backwards way of getting into roots music, especially, I, you know, I grew up in a household where, you know, my parents, we didn't really, there was not family, there was no family music thing going on. My dad was a singer, but he sang, you know, sort of barbershop quartet music. And <laughs> that certainly ended up influencing my uh, desire to be, you know, harm, sing harmony and, mm-hmm. and yeah. sing duets with my brother, but that was never a huge part. It wasn't wasn't like some of these classic Kentucky and Appalachian, you know, stories. Are you know people grew up playing in a family band or playing in church, and I didn't do any of that. I I grew up listening to music and be you know being encouraged by my family members to 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 play and be involved in it. But uh, but I I took piano lessons when I was a little kid from about fourth grade on. Also, just spent a whole, you know, an embarrassingly large amount of time uh, laying down on the floor in front of a. I had a, one of those re- uh, record players that had the, I think it was a Sears model, and it had the eight track player on it and the four record stack you could stick on the top of it, and it would just keep playing them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I I listened to a lot of, you know, John Denver and Merle Haggard and whatever I could get my hands on that my, you know, my folks had and my, my uncle Steve had, had a collection of stuff. So that's my earliest, you know, recollection of music being a big deal. And I remember vividly laying there and kind of singing along those harmony lines on some of those recordings and thinking, man, what am I hearing here? I didn't know, I didn't musically mm-hmm. know that it wasn't the melody of the song. I just knew I was singing a supportive role in it. And that became a big part of, what I wanted to do is is sing harmony with my twin brother Adam, and and that started to, to shape and, and come into in, into reality uh, as we became young adults. Uh, and I started I started showing a little interest in the banjo, and then eventually guitar and dobro, and he he kind of naturally uh, leaned toward becoming a bass player, and and we started singing together, and that kind of you know that that led me down the path of just further exploring bluegrass and hillbilly music and, and songwriting. And, uh, that's sort of the beginning of the story, you know, so so to speak. So when, um, when you talked about finding, you know, sitting in front of the record player and finding that harmony, was that where you naturally went, uh, to the harmony? Did you always kind of lean that direction? Yeah. Yeah, I certainly did. Not only that, but I also honed in on all those, like on popular sounding recordings honed in on non-popular sort of instrumentation. Like I would notice, I would take notice when there was, you know, a Dobro on a John Denver record or, you know, or, you know, pedal steel guitar parts and and like really paid close attention to that stuff. But yeah, certainly vocally, I was immediately interested in, in harmony singing and, and building those parts. And, and now it's a big part of what I'm doing when I'm not singing or playing in, in a band, I'm, you know, working on helping other folks produce records and arranging vocal harmonies. And it's, it's one of my favorite things about making music. Mm-hmm. So it's no, no coincidence that it's a big part of what makes bluegrass music. What it is, is that, that high lonesome harmony yeah. vocal with it. So you started with piano lessons. How, how old were you? And and uh, 
or you and your brother when you picked up guitar, banjo, bass, and other instruments? Let's say we were young adults. We were just just right. I mean, we would have been about eighteen or so. Mm, okay. So uh, right out of it's. I know it's kind of strange because a lot of people that I make music with a lot of my peers in bluegrass. You know, they played when they were little kids, and I mean, of course, I was musically inclined and interested in music that whole time. But I, I was it was a, such a different framework sitting down at a piano and and with your nose in the book. And really, barely learning to improvise at all, mm. and then going from from that extreme to everything is theme and variation. Folk music is, you know, you we got this this three chord song, and now you get to figure out what you're going to play over it during <laughs> when it's your turn to take a solo. You know, <laughs> so it's a complete different different you know worlds colliding. But I think it all came to benefit. You know, I think it all came together well. You know. <laughs> To my advantage. Was um, when you were a kid and started playing piano, was that something you kind of chose to do? Did you seek, seek out playing music or was, was it? Oh, yeah. No, I was, uh, uh, there was no like direction from my parents. It was, it was a support, but it was mostly for my grandmother. But it was because she had some disposable income to be able to pay, pay, pay for some private lessons. But I was, I, there was, there was a, a piano uh, in her house and I would just gravitate. Mm -hmm. I, as soon as we got in the door, I would go, go to the piano and, and peck around on it until it sounded okay. <laughs> yeah. So you were just, it was instant. It seemed like you were just kind of. Yeah. I just wanted to do it. There was no, I know some people like, you know, it works the same way probably with sports and stuff too. If you yeah. want your kid to be a baseball player, the last thing they're going to want to do is play baseball. <laughs> you know? But, but I, so I was glad that my parents didn't try to steer me toward music. Cause I might not, I might've, I might've rejected that idea altogether. Did did your dad and and his uh, barbershop quartet sing around your house? Did you ever hear them practice or him practice? Yeah, we did, but you know, he he was he worked second and third shift a lot of times, and it, so we didn't really become close until we were until I was you know middle middle teenage years, and uh, and I the thing I remember most is just how many tapes he had. We we'd ride mm -hmm. around on the weekend, you know, whether it was heading to a piano lesson or or whatever we were doing on the weekend. And he had whatever the latest greatest quartet singing group that he liked uh, in the in the cassette player on the in the in the car, and uh, and I, I vividly remember that, having that same feeling that I had listening to other other recordings of thinking, man, what is that part? And mm. I was trying to pick apart which parts were which, and then I knew he was mostly a lead singer, but he sang the tenor part a lot, and the, you know the high part, and uh, and then you know there was that mysterious. What is the other part? What is the rest of them? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so. It, it was intriguing. It was intriguing, and it's a very important part of, of who I am now. Mm. Did you know right away that you wanted to play music for other people and, and be a performer? You know, I didn't really. I didn't know, and I really wasn't a very strong singer until I was in my oh, I was well up into my twenties. Wow, that's I surprising. didn't really consider myself a singer at all, and until my brother started singing, I thought, "Damn, if he can do it, I can do it." Too. <laughs> we, got the, we got the same. We got the same DNA. You know, we got the identical twins. It was the inner of the twins, man. It was. Oh, you know, it's great, <laughs> and, it's, and it became com competitive be to a point where I mean, a healthy, healthy competitive yeah. because it. Yeah, because we're, you know, it's like, let's see if we can go bigger and louder with this. Okay, we've been doing this song in B flat. Let's do it B now. And uh, and it'll be bigger and louder and higher. And so it, it got competitive and fun. And, and it's a very gratifying feeling to be able to blend two voices, two mm -hmm. or three vo voices together and 
and uh, belt out a part, you know. I played in a, a band a while back with um, some twins, and and that's what what you do notice about them is they have a, a it, like you said, a healthy competition to drive each other to get better. <laughs> it's not it's not yeah. in an evil way, although you do call them your evil twin. Every video I've seen of you guys playing, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it it it, it fuels that. Uh, it fuels you to get better, I think. So you always yeah, hear about yeah, sibling uh, sibling harmonies. Do you, well, do you get that times ten with twins? I think, <laughs> I think so. I would say yeah, but I'm I'm a little biased, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you guys were first starting out, how much were you playing? You know, when you were first trying to pick up instruments. You know, we weren't we weren't incredibly serious about being like touring musicians or anything like that when we started playing well we started a little band here that is still in existence relic is a band the main band that we've had through the years um sort of on a long-term hiatus now just because of covid and other various projects that everybody's got going on Mm -hmm. but uh, we started that band um well over 15 years ago now and um yeah we were we and back to your other question about did I ever see myself performing out? You know, it wasn't a matter. Of, it was really more of just an av- a creative outlet, and, I, and like it felt like a natural avenue of pursuing what I really loved doing and what we both what we all really loved doing, and and it just grew to evolve into a more professional uh, trajectory when I started writing songs and getting songs pitched and recorded by other artists, and that led me to start thinking wow, I could probably write some songs better than some of the songs that are out there right now. Mm-hmm. And it, I felt like if 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 Del McCurry and Balsam Range and these guys are interested in my tunes, then uh, then I must be doing something right. And then it led, gave me a little more confidence in my own voice. I thought, well, I can sing these songs myself too, you know? I don't just have to send it. I don't <laughs> just have to pitch, pitch them to my heroes, even though that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I can also record them myself and invite some of those hero people to play on the record like I did with Sam Bush and hmm. Michael Cleveland and some other guys. So, so it just, it just, it, it was a healthy evolution. It, no, there was no, there was never a, a desire to like be rich and famous or well, certainly not rich playing this music, but uh, there was never a desire to, to like, just, you know, any sort of stardom or anything like that. It just felt like a healthy uh, avenue to pursue what we love, what we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So I've got a, a kind of jump forward to jump back question. Okay. In the 2020, you released the uh, a tribute album to Mickey Clark, Levin and, and Levin. And yeah. I've heard you referring to Mickey as being one of the people that uh, was real inspirational in your development in songwriting and giving you the courage to actually send it out and put it out there. Um, oh, yeah. So the real question leading all the way back to that is, did you always write and just kind of keep it to yourself before that? Or did you develop that after you started playing banjo and getting into those things? Or was that something that you always did? You know, I did. I did. I mean, I didn't always write. I've, wrote, I've been writing songs that I, you know, like actively pursuing writing songs since like the early uh, years. That's, you know, 2004, right about when we started the band. And, um, and then, you know, we recorded a record around 07 or something like that. And that, that had three or four of my original songs on it. And, um, and you know, but it wasn't, to me, it wasn't, it was just 
a way of us producing original music. It wasn't me thinking that any of my songs were on par with any of the stuff I was listening to or, mm. you know, it, and it took a few more years of, you know, I think it just is, is the way it goes with the songwriter. You never think your stuff is, <laughs> is top, is top notch yet because the next one's supposed to be the best one. right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so, I did hear, I hear like, I think, you know, Merle Haggard said that he wrote, something like a thousand songs, but only really 300 of them were any good. And it's like, <laughs> that's, that's really not bad odds, but it takes a long time to start building up a catalog like that. Mm. So, And I, I bet he'd probably yeah. say most of them came at the end when he really figured out how to write. You know, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And you know, you talked about Mickey Clark. Mickey was a huge influence on me, not for a long time, but r really in his last few years, um, because he was just so supportive of a guy. He reinvented himself so many times over the years. For those that don't know, Mickey Clark kind of did the same thing that I was, that I've been doing is like writing songs and pitching them to bigger artists to be able to get some more mileage out of his songs. He had songs recorded by the Oak Ridge Boys and the Kingston Trio and several other, other groups over the years. Jerry Lee Lewis recorded one of his songs. And, uh, but, you know, it just felt like in his latter years, he was he just was a hardworking Louisville musician like mm -hmm. any of the rest of us. And when he was done with his gig, if he was done at eight and we were still playing at nine or ten, he would definitely show up and, <laughs> you know, come sit in. And so it was just a big deal. And, and folks like him and, and, and John Gage in particular, John Gage is another one that is a big influence on me. And and now here I am. I've been in the middle of producing his record this year. So <laughs> oh, cool. um, everything comes full circle uh, somehow. I don't know. Just a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. It's just, it's interesting because I've got to meet Mickey in a different, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a mailman by trade. So he lived on one of the routes that I did and, and I saw him pulling in. Oh, wow. I saw him, this was probably two and a half, three years maybe before he died, before I got a chance to meet him, but he was pulling in his garage in his old van with all his gear in it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, he, and he pulled in he said, oh, I, I got to take all this stuff out, but I just pull it in his garage sometimes and leave it. And I was like, you, you play music? Because I didn't know who Mickey Clark was. So yeah. I really missed, I feel like you miss an opportunity with people like that, that you just would never, the real... Would never go, yeah. yeah, I play music. I've got all this stuff I've done, all these. I've, I'm a massive songwriter. And, you know, I that one just, I kind of kicked myself once I realized who Mickey Clark was. Let's listen <laughs> to one of the songs from the Tribute album. All right, let's do it. What you got on here? I've got Rodeo Fool and Wyoming Child. Ooh, let's do Wyoming Child. Okay. You want to set that up for us? Tell us anything about that song, Aaron? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a good choice. That's the opening track from the record. And, uh... You know, Mick wrote that song in the 1970s um, with, he had a co-writer, and his name escapes me at the moment, but his co-writer, uh, they they wrote that tune, and Mickey rec recorded some live versions of it with his band, The Blue Norther, in the 70s, but they, it was never really recorded on a studio album until his Winding Highways album, and a very country song, and I decided, you know, that was the that was the one song that made me think, man, I could make a whole bluegrass record of songs of Mickey's catalog and make them sound totally different than his versions of them. Because this is sort of a double-time version of that. It was it was a typical country, um, you know, mid-tempo sort of song. 
not necessarily a slow ballad or anything, but now it's like you do that double time thing, keep the melody about the same pace, but you know, have that screaming banjo uh, and you know, high energy behind it. And the track includes some really really special guests on it. Steve Cooley, <laughs> no stranger to anybody around here. He was no a doubt. longtime member of the Dillards for almost 20 years, <laughs> uh, touring with them all over the world. He played banjo on the track. Michael Cleveland on the fiddle. Uh, Chris Douglas on upright bass. Buddy Melton singing the harmony with me. He's he's uh, <laughs> kind of the front, front man with balsam range. And then um, Sam Bush on the mandolin, who was a friend of Mickey's yeah. and, and of mine as well. Wonderful so, guy. I, I, that's I a hell of a group. I, I, don't, I don't know any of those names. <laughs> I mean, good Lord, man, that's amazing. <laughs> I was very, very fortunate, very fortunate that all everybody wanted to be in, involved in it to help kind of commemorate, get some more mileage out of Mickey's music. If I ever record with any of those guys, I may just put down the instrument and retire and be like, all right, I think I've done all I need to do. That's all I need to do. All right, here he is, Wyoming Child. song stop i know they're all gonna be like this sorry yeah it's just what he does man <laughs> such a good performance of that song you guys are the best <laughs> <laughs> so that album came out at the beginning of 2020 correct it came out yeah it feels like about a year ago it was it was it was leap day 2020 okay it was it was my very last real gig of the year before the pandemic started shutting things down in march and that was uh, y'all did the live lunch and then Odeon, right? Yeah, we yeah, it was a big day. We, we sold that room out at Odeon. It was packed, crazy. It was not necessarily, you know, that's not the largest room in the city by any means, mm-hmm. but it's a very special place, and uh, and it was it was a great crowd, and it just felt really good to have that much support behind all those months and months of of work to put that record together and miles to put that record together. I traveled all over the country recording that record. So, so how did that come about? How did you uh, put that one together? Cause I know you have players from everywhere. So were you, yeah. did, did you, I mean, since everything's kind of digital these days, did you just take it to travel with it? Some of the stuff I, I uh, sent, you know, I sent to collaborators to play their parts on it. You, Tom Utes played guitar on some of that, on one of those tracks. And, you know, I was, at, he's got a studio and I was able to send it to him and, and he sent me the files right back. But a lot of the stuff I did here in my own studio, I, I did most of the basic tracking, me 
and um, and and the bass. You know, Chris Douglas played most of the bass on it, and then Michael Cleveland. He lives you know just over the river, so he played all his stuff here. And Cooley, of course, too. Jeff Guernsey was on the record. Oh, Guernsey. As far as the as far as the traveling goes. I did go, you know, I, I traveled to Fort Collins, Colorado to record one of the tracks with FY5, and we'll mm-hmm. talk about them in a little bit. Oh, yeah. But uh, one of the one of the tracks on there was was, was recorded out west, and then um, Nashville, of course, I recorded in the butcher shop. Uh, Sean Camp sang and, and played mm-hmm. on one of the tracks, and he was a friend of Mickey's as well. He was, was a great, great songwriter. He wrote songs for George Strait and... And Garth Brook, he wrote two pina coladas, and he's a great songwriter. And he plays with the Earls of Leicester now. He's a great singer as well. Oh, cool. But um, so we recorded stuff in Nashville, and I recorded stuff in Michigan. Missy Armstrong, she's a Michigan uh, bluegrass singer, superstar on the radio, bluegrass radio. And then, um, you know, as far away as San Antonio, Texas, Will Gage played on some of it. So we some of it was passed around via Dropbox and. <laughs> <laughs> and just doing it, you know, collaborating you know, remotely. And some of it was done by getting in the car and, and going, you know. I'm grateful for all of it. No doubt, man. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it, number one, you look at the list of, of people that jumped on this record. It's impressive. And, and you know, I think it's probably a, tri- a, a big tribute and tip of the hat uh, to Mickey and his work. But I think it's also a big part of that is, is a tip of the hat to you as well that those people will jump on that in a heartbeat and, and you know give give such a a great effort to such good songwriting and and have that album uh, released yeah. man it's just huge kudos on that it meant so much to me because you know the the primary goal being to get some more just to breathe a little new life into some of these songs that I thought might get lost forever mm-hmm. you know those songs I mean they had a life and some of them had a life of their own and Mickey's projects and other other recordings but i thought well we can get a little bit more out of this and uh you know i remember talking to mickey while he was sort of on in his last few days even about it and, and kind of pitched the idea to him and he you know of course he was very honored about the whole thing and mm. kind of gave gave me his gave me his approval to to go ahead and proceed with it and also to use his guitar to do it so oh really uh, his old his old 1961 that's his d28 they're on all <sighs> almost all those tracks and matter of fact, it's still sitting over here in the next room. I need to get it back. It's been a long-term <laughs> loan from Sandy, his his widow, Sandy. Oh, no kidding. Wife. Might want to bring but, it uh, to one shot. There you go. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I haven't played it in a while. I had to put some strings on it. But uh, I've been trying to get back to my own so that it doesn't feel so bad to have to put it, to give it back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I've been yeah. trying to wean myself off of it. But no, it... <laughs> It was a special project, but it also was, I mean, I have to say, a very self-serving you know, serving motivation as well because it put me in a position where now I get to be producer in the room with Sam Bush playing mandolin on a project oh, me, or, wow. or with or with Michael Cleveland playing playing fiddle on it or, you know, some of these guys that are heroes to me and and people that I've connected with that maybe I'm introducing Mickey Clark's music to them, like Balsam Range. I got them to sing Mickey's biggest hit probably was, was she's gone to LA again that the Oak Ridge boys cut and Balsam range. Uh, I went down to their home base and near Asheville, North Carolina. And we recorded that track together all on, you know, all live, hmm. um, in the, in the studio crossroads studio down there. And 
and uh, it it just was a an honor to be able to play the role of producer and singer and artist and and not necessarily be using up all my catalog of my own materials mm-hmm. to do that. So I can kind of hold back on some of those tunes for future projects like the ones I'm involved in now. Man, I could just imagine you hitting that button. Hey, Michael, could you do that again? I think you could do better. <laughs> <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't happen too often. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, <laughs> so, so, Aaron, you've mentioned a couple couple things I want to be sure we talked about. You mentioned uh, FY5, and you also uh, uh, mentioned Don't Have a Clue. So your uh, time in and out is pretty big, uh, pretty big story right now. Yeah, the latest, greatest single that... Uh, that I've put out it was since since that Mickey. Well, I also put. I should note that I did put out a, a little EP project of yeah. bluegrass Shakespeare songs, Shakespeare, which yeah. is wildly wildly bizarre and probably a conversation for a whole podcast. <laughs> I was wondering how you got that one. So I, I did that as well, but but yeah, the latest uh, musical release of mine uh, has been this song, "Time In and Out." And I wrote it with my dear friend, Mike Fenders, who fronts a band called FY5. And F would be, the F in FY5 is Mike Fenders. And um, and the Y is the Youngbergs. They're, they're a married couple, both named Aaron Youngberg. Two different Aarons, <laughs> but both had the same name. And uh, But one of them's a bass player, and she's a great singer as well. She's singing that sort of soaring high harmony above me and Mike. And then uh, Aaron Double A, Aaron Youngberg, uh, is the banjo player on the track, and uh, also the mix engineer for that, as well as that entire Mickey Clark record. He he mixed that record for me as well out at Swing Fingers Studio out in Fort Collins. Hmm. But uh, the, the wrap of the band, let's see who else: the, the, Rich Zimmerman on mandolin. He's a Colorado native as well, and Ryan Dricky on the fiddle. Um, they're a great band. They're, I, I became a big fan of theirs uh, when I met Mike a few years back. We were paired up to work together on a, uh, a an event at a business conference for the Bluegrass is for the IBMA, the International Bluegrass Music Association business conference, and we were paired up to lead a, a song circle event within that within that uh, convention. And uh, it was sort of, we joke about it, it was sort of our blind date. Because we, <laughs> we met each other and we were like, we, we were both, we both walked away from it thinking, man, I got a new best bud. He, even, <laughs> he said he, he went back to the, he went back to his hotel room where the, his band FY5 was staying. He said, you guys, I, I think I just met my new best friend. <laughs> and no kidding, he's, he's a great guy. And the whole band has become like family to me over the past few years. And from having them play "Bound to Loving You" on that Mickey Clark mm-hmm. record, and then and then just getting to write songs with Mike, um, and that whole thing, and supporting each other when we're touring. If I'm out west, I, I get to go crash with them, or they'll host a, a gig and we'll play. And I do the same when they get out this way. And oh, uh, that's awesome! All that culminated into into making this recording together because this was this was the first product of of those songwriting collaboration attempts and this is the first one that we wrote together uh and it's a song that means a lot to us so well that's uh pretty insane that the first real collaboration <laughs> is it was, what debuted at three still in the top 10 it's been out about a month now i think 
Is that right? Yeah. Um, no, Three well, weeks? I think so, yeah. It depends on how how long you say it's been out. Yeah, it's been out to radio for about a month. It's been out to the general public for about three weeks, two, three weeks. Yeah. So here, here's yeah. what happens, Aaron. Aaron, we always end up doing this. We're like, hey, what song do you want to end on? And then he starts talking about a song at, uh, right in the middle of the podcast. Now we got to play that one and end with yeah, the different one. <laughs> we can come back to that. Let's circle back because I, I, the FY5, you know, you have a couple full bands on the last record with you. And one of them is Balsam uh, Range. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about them because, man, they released a song of yours um, that you wrote or released in like 2015 on the Southwind record, I, th I believe. Was that the record or was it on? It was on a record called Somewhere in Between. It was right before Southwind. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 2015, Somewhere in Between, and you had Blue Collar Dreams. Now that, that song ended, they ended up covering that one. And uh, is that how you got the yeah. relationship with them to get them on this last record as well? Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. They the, Those guys have become friends and, and kind of extended family to me as well. It's one of the most beautiful things about, you know, a musical, a professional music career is that, is that if you approach it in that it's not just networking that it's building relationships mm -hmm. and people you meet people that you care about that all we and we all kind of have these same you know so have stuff in common that we that we care about that you, you get to develop these relationships and i've i cherish them you know it's just the whole thing of uh, asking them to to play on that record i thought was a little bit of a a leap for me to say hey will you guys come <laughs> play on on as a whole band unit play on this and and they immediately said yes and not uh -huh. only that but like refused well they let's put it this way they were very charitable and generous with their time and their studio time at the at the studio there but uh wonderful guys and yeah they recorded that song blue collar dreams uh on a record called mountain voodoo yeah and uh it became the the first single that they put out the radio and it it debuted at at the, on that same chart that we're talking about at number one and it stayed there for something like six months. Oh, wow. It was insane. You know, man, insane. that yeah. that song, uh, there, you know, every now and again when you hear a song, it just stops you. That song sounds like it's been in a bluegrass rotation for 50 years. You know, it's one of those <laughs> songs, it's like that song, yeah. isn't that always been a song? Isn't that a standard? Which it's become a standard. Somebody sent me the other day a bunch of links, and there's like there's like three or four bands in in Japan, and China, and Canada, and the Czech Republic, and they're all singing it in the. They're some of them are singing it in English, and some of them are singing it in their own native language. It's pretty cool I to see that, wild. and and Germany, I think a few other European countries, but it's pretty cool just to see some. And I've actually seen one video of somebody playing it like at a jam, just a jam session thing at one of these like hotel hallway jam session things. It's, it's pretty exciting to see that because as a songwriter, I did want to write, like I, I thought, man, I just want to write something that, you know, obviously you want to write something that's moving and meaningful to you personally, but you also want to write something that has legs, you know, mm -hmm. I want to write, I, I want, I, I always thought about one of the gold standards in bluegrass to me was, it's, and some of these songs that are like the big standards are not big, deep, meaningful songs. They're no. songs that are very surface level. They have all the right parts and pieces to make the banjo player shine and make the singer shine and make the fiddle player shine. But to me, songs like uh, Pete Goble and Bobby Osborne of the Osborne Brothers wrote a song called 
the big spike hammer <laughs> yep. in the 60s. And, uh, and it's a song. It's like it doesn't have a whole lot of depth uh, lyrically to it. But, boy, it's just perfectly set up for bluegrass. And I wanted to be able to combine that deeper, meaningful, lived experience. The Blue Collar Dreams certainly is autobiographical for me. Mm-hmm. But um, take combine that deep, meaningful lyrical experience with and package it up in a way that would still work with a bluegrass ensemble. So it's not an easy task to do, but it's, it's certainly gratifying when you, when you pull it off. Man, I, you nailed it with that. And I think that one's going to be around uh, for, I, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's just, we such need a to hear that song, song right here. Was that the first uh, song that you wrote that really, really uh, kind of put your name as a songwriter in the stratosphere of, of somebody that can pull off a killer song? It did. It, it kind of, it did certainly give me some legitimacy as that's a writer. A, I'm sorry, but, Aaron, that's a stupid question. It was on, uh, it was number one for six months. I take that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That was not no. the song that did it. <laughs> My bad. No, it was. It, it, it's a good, you have a, you have a good point because, but one thing to remember is that this songwriting business, especially songwriting, but music in general, is a slow crawling pace sometimes. And it's like, you know, hours and hours, thousands of hours of work to get that little one hour gig that you play or that, you know, all those hours of, of trying to write something, trying to play something that makes sense. And and then you package it up and maybe somebody does something with it. So I do give a lot of credit to Michael Cleveland. He, he recorded the first cut of mine that was cut by a professional artist. But I did also feel like in some ways, I feel like that didn't count because he was a friend of mine and he heard it because we were buddies. You know, it's like, but it, it felt great to have him cut one of my songs. And it really made me feel like I could hang with these other songwriters that were writing songs. And uh, so I, I do give a lot of, a lot of credit to, to him for going out on a limb. He recorded a song of mine called She Ain't Saying. And uh, it was not a single. It was just an album cut. It was kind of a song later on in the halfway through the record somewhere. But it meant a lot to me to hear professionals playing it. And they still play that song on the radio too. Hmm. So uh, 
that was that was a big deal. But you're right, Balsam Range was was the big first one, and then getting Del McCurry Band recorded a song of mine, a very big surprise to me. And then Dale Ann Bradley, another superstar in bluegrass singing, she's incredible Kentucky uh, bluegrass singer. But uh, all, all those pieces of the puzzle um, certainly make me feel like you know a lot of the credit needs to go to the artists that, that recorded it, that they got way more mileage out of that song than I would have been able to get out of my own recording of it. So I'm grateful for that. Hmm. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but it's, it's, I just, uh, it, well, at the time they had, let's put it this way. They had the infrastructure, yeah. the management, the touring, the schedule, and they literally, literally more mileage. Like they literally yeah. went up and down the highway and played that song at different festivals and concert halls that would not have been accessible to me at that yeah. point in my career. Because that was what, 2015 when you released it. And I think Boston Range released it in 2016. I think it was I think 16. 16. Yeah, because 16, it was up for, I won the Chris Austin songwriting contest with that song at Merle Fest. It had to be and a no-brainer. It was the same year. <laughs> it was the same year that Balsam Range released it, like a, a couple months later. Oh, cool! Uh, and, and then the following year, I believe it was up for Song of the Year at IBMA, which was another fun. That song it just it was it just was one of those gifts that kept on giving. So I don't. <laughs> I try not to complain. I don't want it to like you know be the single handedly identify my entire career or anything. No. But I do. I do accept it as being a, a, a huge gift. Yeah. You know, well, you know, that's uh, it's, it's funny that you said that that way, because I, when I think about, there's a couple of things I think about when I look at uh, Aaron Bebohauser's catalog and what you've done uh, in regards to everything, you know, you look at, you had the bell project that you and Michael uh, did. You had oh, yeah. the, the, um, what you just mentioned, as y'all like it, the Shakespeare, the uh, Little Shakespeare <laughs> Society EP. Yeah. You know, you've had uh, the Beeblehauser brothers, you've had Relic, you've mm. uh, played, you know, the, there is this wide range of different things that you've done that, uh, how do you sum all that up into the artist that you are currently? Has that all just kind of you built know. into where you are now? You know, I I really don't have a great answer for that, but, <laughs> but I do think that I do think that it takes because bluegrass music, even if you're the biggest star in bluegrass, like it's still it's kind of like winning the I hate to say this the tallest midget contest because <laughs> it's like nobody's gonna get nobody's gonna get rich and famous doing this. Even some of the biggest names in the business mm. have day jobs, yeah. and because they need health insurance and they need to support their kids and. And uh, and save some money for retirement, but like it, it, all of wearing all those different hats, I think is part of the of the deal. And I still work a work a full time gig. I'm an electrician by trade. I do sort of industrial work. You know, not quite forty hours a week most weeks, but uh, I do that. And I wear all these other hats. I'm a songwriter, and I try to you know try to get out and sing and play in in several different bands and ensembles. And I produce records, and I a session man and I play I'm a utility guys. So I play some pedal steel and piano and dobro and sing parts, but I'll, I have to do wear all those hats in order to try to make it sustainable, you know? And, yeah. and also I'm a radio host. I was going to say radio host yeah. on Sundays. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Three hour bluegrass show. Sounds like and, you have a lot um, of spare time. 
Yeah, you don't got you, you have nothing going on, bro. Hey, this is how we spend it right here, just like this. Yeah, you know? yeah. But uh, but no, and and speaking of all those, we, if that might be a good segue into talking about Wolfpin Branch. If you guys, hell yeah, right got a new that. band. We yeah. got a brand, brand new band. I mentioned uh, earlier that Relic was take, taking a little hiatus, and part of that is that the pandemic hit, and it you know it kind of put a, a big pause on everybody's gig touring schedules and uh i wasn't the only one that found myself in that predicament um many other kentucky artists uh were in that boat too and we started this band it's it's fun because it's a it's a group full of you know we're reasonably young still youthful still but we're we're seasoned enough to know what we're up against when we're starting a new band and um all of us were front people in our own bands for oh, cool. a decade or so and I, you know i had relic and uh arthur hancock is uh, is a singer and guitar player in the band wolfpin branch is the name of the band uh he was a longtime front man for the wooks and okay. uh, a lexington lexington kentucky based group and uh roddy puckett was the bass player in that band at one time too and he's he's in wolfpin branch um chris Chouse is playing mandolin in this band he was Long-time front person. He was playing guitar at the time, but he was with uh, the Twenty Three String Band, <laughs> and they were they were a big yeah. a big hit. They they won the Rocky Grass Band competition back in the day, and and were touring all over the country. And uh, Katie Penn is playing fiddle with us. She had a band for many years called Newtown with her uh, ex husband uh, Junior Williams, and they. They ran that band and, and toured all over the country, a nationally touring act, and they were with a major bluegrass label. And uh, so here we are, all five of us capable of singing two or three sets of music on our own, and then we get to come together and just chalk up what each of us do best and what each of us bring to the table and lift each other up. And uh, it's a really exciting band. It's fun. we got a lot of new material, and uh, it's certainly bluegrass, but... Uh, you know, defies some of the some of the stereotypes because we, you know, it's a little groovier sometimes than than your typical than your typical purist version of bluegrass. Well, we got to hear some now. Yeah, I'm we, ready to hear the song now. Yeah, I've got a question though. Wolfpin Branch does it? Does the name come from like Wolfpin Branch Road or where, where does that come from? That's a good question. You know, we, we're gonna, we're going to let. So there is another Wolfpin branch in Kentucky, and it's not a road. It's actually a, a creek, a tributary to Ross's Creek out in Estill County, Kentucky, which is where it's a special place to the band because, well, Chris lives in Estill County, and you're going to hear Chris's voice on this next track. He's singing the lead on it. But Chris lives in Estill County, and Arthur and Roddy and I all met and played our first gig together when we were when we were playing in a different band and uh, we played there at kicking it on the Creek in Estill County. Okay. Uh, and it was a fun festival and it was just that Wolfpin branch just became a, a common denominator in what we were all, how we all came together and, and met and, and uh, we decided that that was, the, that would be the namesake of the band. It also works out great because Louisville folks recognize Wolfpin branch too, as well, you know, as being a local, I like it. Yeah, good Road, band name. name. Perfect, yeah. perfect, yeah. perfect bluegrass band name. All right, let's listen let's to Don't it. Have a Clue. All right. And this will be the first uh, single from Wolfpin Branch, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Probably just came out, yeah. you know, by the time we 
publish this podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got a head like a stone, I'm telling you, man, I gotta let that go. Gonna let it flow down to the Gulf of Mexico. You see the forest for the trees, can feel the wind for the breeze. You hear your song before you're pleasing, and so it goes. Says she likes to hear me sing I'm gonna borrow a diamond ring And it's a lot go on I've been stuck out here for days And then we need to get away And take it back to the good old days When this life was so good I don't have a clue I've been lost a time or two I had a big smile on my face the whole time that's I was playing. awesome <laughs> yeah i love the way that feels man that's yeah. got such a groove to it you're right it's it definitely has the bluegrass instrumentation but that just has a different type of groove yeah man i Thank love you. it very cool very very good it's a fun band i mean you know i credit a lot of that groove to roddy the bass player he's he spent mm-hmm. a lot of time playing in sort of deadhead cover bands and uh and different groups around Lexington area for ages and he's he's, just, he's plenty capable of being a, gr- a great bluegrass bass player straight up straightforward but there is something that you can you know everybody else in the band can kind of play off of his playing mm. uh if he all he's got to do is change that groove a little bit and then we all gravitate toward it oh yeah yeah you could tell how that would happen real quick because that, that was just yeah, that was, that was nice. So, Aaron, our listeners that want to follow you and the band you're in and your music uh, a little more closely, where, where can they do that? So, the best places to find my, you know, all things music related for me is is my website, which I'll spare you the inconvenience of trying to spell Bebelhauser <laughs> while you're typing into Google. It's <laughs> it's just real easy. It's bluegrassevolution.com. Oh, there you Bluegrass go. Bluegrass Evolution. And uh, I... That is also happens to be the name of my radio show, but I think it's it sums up my perspective on bluegrass is that it there is it is a constantly ever changing, evolving uh, genre of music. So you, there, there's links there to Wolfpin Branch as well, but you can go straight to wolfpinbranch.com and find out what the band's got going on as well. We've got a brand new single out as of this podcast release, and. Uh, and you can find that on all streaming and download download platforms as well as my own catalog of stuff. Now, to find my own catalog of stuff on your Spotify and Apple, you'll have to figure out how to spell Beeblehauser. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you'll find it. You'll find it. I yeah. promise. <laughs> I think I got one more question before we get out of sure. here. Sure. All right, man. So when I think of bluegrass in Louisville, I think of you know a lot of the guys that we've talked about today. You know, my you know Steve Cleveland yeah. or uh, Steve Cooley, uh, Steve Sam Cooley, Bush, yeah. Michael Cleveland. Um, in my eyes, as an outsider sitting back watching what you've created and what you've done and where you're going and the things that you've done, you in my mind you've created that for yourself as well. There, there's a oh, you're kind of stepping into 
and creating that groove in the bluegrass music that is, you know, Kentucky. So do you feel that? I mean, do you, do you feel like there is that you're kind of burning your own path and leaving your own trail here? Because Man. from an outsider, you most certainly are. Man, I, I do. I do. I'm very grateful that you phrased it that way. It means a lot to me that you see it that way because, uh, you know, I, I do want to, the, the, I told you earlier, like none of us are in this stuff to try to get rich and famous. I'm mm-hmm. sure there are some people that get into music because they want to be able to stand up on a stage and feel the crowd cheer. And, and uh, there, there is an aspect of that that is very gratifying and very pleasing, but really the, the end game is just to be able to, I look up at the people that I admire and the folks like Mickey Clark, but especially John Gage. Mm-hmm. And what you really want to look back at eventually someday to be able to look back and say, I served this community for however many decades that I get to spend on this planet. You know, I'll be spend most of them right here in Louisville, Kentucky, more than likely. And, uh, and I spent all this time serving this community and, and sharing my music and creating a legacy and trying to be maintain a, a purpose and be relevant amongst my peers internationally as well. And, uh, you know, I think that's the goal for me. I don't know. <laughs> it's, mm. it sounds like in a way it's very, it sounds humble, but it also sounds, uh, like a, a, a gargantuous task because you're basically saying, I want to change the world. Mm. I want to change the world. At the same a, time, yeah. it's one piece at a time, you know, and you're right. It, it does feel like that, but it, but I do owe so much of that to um, my predecessors and you mentioned them as well. Steve Cooley has been right there, man, as supportive of, as anybody in this community to me and Jeff Guernsey, mm. Michael okay. Cleveland, all those folks have been right there. I mean, and, and personally and professionally, if I if I called any one of those guys and said I'm broke down on the side of the highway five hours away, I could expect to see them in about five hours as soon as they could get their car and get to me. <laughs> so. mm. All right, I got I got one more question. <laughs> Somebody uh, uh, like me who's loving bluegrass right now and just trying to dip their toe into bluegrass mm-hmm. to, to get people to, to, you know, I know a lot of bluegrass uh, musicians have, you know, jam sessions and jam circles right now. It's probably a little bit different with COVID, but um, what's a good way to kind of dip your toe into the bluegrass scene if you're a newbie? Well, you do have to play with other people. That's the, that's the big deal. I mean, you, you can sit and learn, you know, if you're going to take up the banjo or the fiddle, you can sit and learn all off of YouTube videos and tabs and, and, and stuff all day long, but you do have to l- play with other people. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know the best avenue to do that, especially during COVID, but yeah. it, once upon a time, there was lots of little jam sessions around here to be able to, to go show up and just be included in those jams. But I think in the meantime, uh, listen closely because there's a, luckily bluegrass has been around since the 1940s. So there's like decades upon decades of music to pay real close attention to and develop a vocabulary, uh, both lyrically and musically, to, you know, what, what to play, what, when to stay out of the way, when to support the singer, when to support the soloist and when to, uh, have a moment in the, in the sun to, to stretch out and play your own solo. But, uh, listen closely. I think listen to the that catalog of, of tunes, you know? And last thing, 
Just put a good word in with uh, Dave and Sonia so they can let me come over and play over there with them, would you? Oh, man. Dude, <laughs> nobody, has, nobody has ever been turned away from there. So you, you can show up there. You can show up there anytime. As soon as, and I haven't been over there in ages, but as soon as COVID's done, we'll make a point to go over at the same time. Okay, man. That sounds great. Uh-oh. That sounds great. Yeah. If I show up with you, they won't kick me out. I'm glad you mentioned them because that's another I, I failed to mention. But when I talk about all those supportive folks, it's... Sonia and Dave. I mean, that, the Relic Band started because we were jamming on Dave's back porch when he lived on Bonnie Castle <laughs> years ago, and we all met right there on his back porch. And and uh, you know, he was it was sort of we called it Bluegrass Boot Camp back then because he was pretty <laughs> hardcore. He softened up around the edges now, but he was pretty hardcore back then. You would get the you would get the stink eye if you if you took somebody's turn in a solo or you sang the wrong thing or something. And uh, but those. <laughs> But those two, and, and Sonia was one time the, the leader of a, of a Bluegrass Anonymous, a local Bluegrass Association of pickers and enthusiasts of Bluegrass music. And and so those two together have been incredibly supportive folks. But jammers, man, you can't, you can't hang out for very long without getting your instrument out of your case. They will throw you out if you don't play music with them. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we won't show up empty-handed, man. <laughs> okay, Aaron, before we, uh, before we talk a little bit more about time in and out, uh, our, our track we're going to go out with, for our Louisville listeners, you mentioned your radio program. When can they catch that? Oh, man, thanks for plugging that. Yeah, it's it's fun. I, I, I've been hosting a, the three-hour slot there on WFPK. It used to be Burke Bryant was my predecessor and uh, big shoes to fill there at WFPK. He ran the Bluegrass show there for like 30 years. But uh, it, it my show airs uh, every Sunday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. And, uh, and if even if you're not around here, you can, if you're around here, you can tune it 91.9 FM. And if you're not around here, you can check it out on the website or the app, WFPK.org or the Louisville Public Media app. And uh, and I think it's even archived on the website it for is. a couple weeks. Yeah, it is. I listened to it miss, last week something. today. Yeah, like I said, a glutton for punishment. <laughs> 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 you tortured soul. <laughs> well, Aaron, we appreciate you spending an hour with us. We uh, we we really enjoyed it. Absolutely, man. Thank I, you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys. Thank you. And it's this 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 podcast is so well done. I was, I'm such a fan now. I've been listening. All day, I've been kind of listen. I've been kind of scrolling back through. I listened to a couple episodes, so oh, cool. oh, that's great. That on my, Thanks. Keep yeah. that on my keep that on my radar and keep paying attention to it. Awesome, man! Well, Thank cool. you. Guys. Thanks. Yeah. Really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm looking looking forward to, to coming to visit for your one shot. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we man. can't wait. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah, we can't wait. Yeah. That's gonna be killer. <laughs> I'm going to be singing yep. in the background over here, man, behind the camera. <laughs> Jump in there. Yeah. Aaron, we'll see you next week. Listeners, we'll see you next week. And here it is, Time In and Out. I know it often seems like we're just passing by. Stopping in to say hello before we say goodbye We go our separate ways all through the daily grind Working for our dreams, but it's taking all our time Time in, time out, forever time
see how we work just to avoid Scared to see what's underneath the hustle and the noise Still just two young lovers walking hand in hand Hoping that this road will lead us back where we Okay.